0: Welcome to Books That Work, the best and most useful bits of Business Box. I'm Anna Hughes and my professional purpose is to help people love their work. I hope you get at
1: least one thing from today's book to help make work better. By understanding a little bit about the behaviour that we're observing and what could be causing that is one way to understand where people are coming from. That's Zoe Routh, author of People Stuff
0: and winner of the 2020 Best Australian Business Book. It's described as an advanced handbook for leadership that goes beyond personality problems. It says people stuff at work can be messy, it can be hard, prickly, rough, slow and sluggish. Little things can drive us nuts, dog our productivity and wear us down bit by bit. This is a handbook for navigating all that, creating sensible and sensitive leadership. I'm going to pull out several of the key concepts from People Stuff and then dig into it more deeply with Zoe when we chat. Sensible and sensitive leadership happens with ourselves, through others and for others. The secret is perspective, how we see ourselves, others and the world. With perspective and insight, we can see wider things going on and other things that matter without losing sight of what's most important. Peeped through the book are maps of people's stuff problems, kind of like mind maps. So we call them problem trees that help us name and describe what we're seeing and experiencing with our people, and encourages us to take a step back, to dissect, show the various roots of problems and behaviours, and to challenge our assumptions. It encourages us to look for patterns in problems and behaviours to help give us wider perspective on people's stuff. Once we're more aware of the value of perspective, we then need to apply it to ourselves. What's our perspective on us and how we see ourselves as leaders? Two questions to ask us. How am I showing up? And am I having the impact I want? People Stuff gives us a lens to see ourselves through via five archetypes. First, the diplomat. Your purpose is to win and your values are to progress. You talk to win. You win without destruction. You skillfully negotiate. And you navigate competing interests seeking outcomes that benefit all parties. The diplomat is all about fairness, creativity and cooperation. Next, the warrior. Your purpose is to win, and your values are to protect. You fight to win. You have the courage to stand up for what you feel is right. You have conviction and determination to challenge repeatedly. The guardian, whose purpose is to build, and values are to protect. You build and preserve. The guardian is very useful in implementing change. You value loyalty, caution, commitment and alignment of actions to values. The fourth archetype, the pioneer. Your purpose is to build and your values are to progress. You build business, crafting something new altogether. You value adventure, experimentation and optimism. And then there is the elder. You amplify all four archetypes. You're sensible and sensitive. You make wise, compassionate decisions. You rise above factionalism and political agendas to seek the highest good for all. You share wisdom. You seek the best solution for as many as possible. You value humility, curiosity and care. We talk more to Zoe about this concept of perspective and how knowledge of these archetypes help us build our perspective of ourselves as leaders. Another of the critical components in the book is perspective on others. Zoe says throw people together and there are all sorts of chemical reactions. There's what's going on inside that show up in emotions and beliefs and then how we experience that on the outside through behaviours and communication. People are like the elements, wind, fire, earth and air. Zoe uses this analogy and description and summarises them in common people stuff behaviours. She calls them the four devils. The firebug erupts when our beliefs are challenged. The storm driver arises when our emotions are triggered. The ground splitter has closed door conversations, bat bites white ants, is siloed, and has an air of entitlement. The water bomber has untamed emotions. We're so caught up in the emotional drama and immersed in our own story that we can't see anything. These behaviors are driven by fear and are a reminder to us that we are more than what we see and hear, and the best version of ourselves don't always appear when we are driven by fear. Zoe so hopes that by growing our perspective on ourselves and others, we will develop wiser, more compassionate leadership, which will free us up, face fewer complaints, develop better staff, and save hours each week on staff issues. Let's chat with Zoe now to help understand these ideas some more. So I'm welcoming to Books at Work Zoe Ralph. Welcome Zoe. Uh, And our first question is always, where in the world are you and what's the view out your window today?
1: Well, hello Anna, it's a delight to be here and uh, Where am I? I am in my podcasting bunker, which is a little space under the stairs in my house, which has (laughs) the best soundproofing. And the view out my window is better than the view inside the bunker. And the view outside my window from this angle is a beautiful greenery patch. And I've got my lovely maple tree out there. And it's speckled with sunlight at the moment, which is just delightful. So there's a huge amount of green in my horizon through through the window at the moment, which is Oh, great so
0: pleasant so pleasant as we head to the end of the year uh so really pleased to be uh finally talking to you about people stuff and i noted that it won the australian business book awards last year and quite a few other awards uh, as well and just wondered why you th- why do you think that was what why do you think
1: it won those awards Well, uh, you could have blown me over with a feather last year when it did come through and won business book of the year. It took out the HR management category and it was finalist in uh, the leadership category and finalist in book cover design. And uh, I was just stunned and couldn't speak. All I could do was say, (laughs) Rob, Rob, which is my husband's name and say, Hey, Rob. And I pointed (laughs) at what I'm looking at. And I was like, tearing up. And he's like, Relax, it's not the Booker prize or anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's grounding. <laughs> yeah, it's very grounding. So uh, I had no idea at the time why it won. I'm like, and I was completely honored. Now, I do have some insight around that, though, because this year they asked me back to be a judge. So they don't have a book in the competition this year. And I know what the criteria is. And the, one of the first major criteria is... Does the book deliver on the promise on the back cover? Does it actually solve the problems that are interested for the target audience? That's one of the criteria. Second one, how is the writing itself? Does the writing flow? Is it easy to read? Uh, is it a well thought out, well researched and, and a well-structured book? So there's there's parts of the uh of the criteria that are about argument and writing, and then there's parts about actually the physical entity of the book, which is also important in publication. So I think if one like oh, if, not knowing all that, my hope is that the book resonated, that it offered new insights into people dynamics, and that it expanded people's thinking and encouraged them to be courageous in uh, in their leadership. That's really what I was hoping the book would do.
0: Well, it certainly did that for me. And one reason why I'm really keen to end our year with books that work with it, um, because it's, you, you talk about it being an advanced handbook for leadership and Certainly there's lots of deep insights in here that aren't covered by other books that we've we've had on the uh, show so yeah really pleased that we can dig into that um, so congratulations anyway for last year so in Thanks. the book <laughs> it's founded on in the book you you've you've got this concept of perspective and what we focus on and really keen to kind of understand that more um, what have you learned about the role of perspective and the role it plays and how we lead
1: I love that you asked this question because really that is what the book is about is how do we expand our perspectives so that we can see better to lead better that was the primary overall objective is like let's help you expand your point of view why is that important is because the more that we see actually the more compassionate we become and the more wise we become. So it helps us to see dynamics between people. It helps us to see issues below the surface. It helps us to understand the repercussions of our decisions in the short term and the long term. And so that's really what perspective is really about. We need to look far deep and wide further, deeper, and wider than we currently are doing, and we need to look with greater sense of compassion as a result. So the tools in the book, and it is quite practical, it gives you a bunch of different exercises you can do to expand your perspective, uh, really help us work work at it and expand our sense of truth. Central to the premise of perspective is this idea that all of us have our own truth. And sometimes that clashes with other people's truths, together we need to find a common truth a collaborative truth and that's what perspective allows us to do it's the old adage if you can walk a mile in someone else's shoes you'll have a better understanding of where they're coming from so parts of it are about that and parts are about literally looking far into the future deep under the surface and wider into the people and communities around us
0: how do we build that
1: perspective of
0: working in each other's shoes walking in each other's shoes in the first instance how do we do that Mm.
1: The book offers a number of different maps of the territory of human dynamics. And by understanding a little bit about the behavior that we're observing and what could be causing that is one way to understand where people are coming from. So in the work that I do with with groups of leaders, I was just telling you before we hit record that I've just come from a workshop on difficult conversations and I offer a number of different maps of the human territory to understand why is it that people push our buttons and why is it that we feel emotional about some issues and why is it that people behave in different ways. So how do we develop perspective and walk in other people's shoes without literally getting inside their skin is first of all, by being curious, Uh, the curiosity helps open up our perception. And by being curious, we get open to understanding why it is that people operate the way that they do. And the way that we go about being curious about that is parking our own point of view and really leaning into what's going on for them. And we can do that by asking them questions, you know? What is it that you believe about this particular situation? What led you to develop your your particular values around this topic? And being really open to where they're coming from and what's driving them is absolutely one way, a practical way to, to develop perspective. The other way is to simply use our imagination. And I often talk about this when I see someone who looks like an alien to me in terms of their point of view, their world, their behavior I'm like how how do they run their world like Um, it's so different (laughs) to the way that I do it (laughs) Um,
0: so you also talked about the importance of perspective in the future so how do you build that what what are some tips on building that
1: wow this is a fun one this is about some of it's about using your imagination and some of it is actually about using futurist thinking what I want to encourage people to do is to really extend their time frame of how far they're thinking into the future. So, you know, you ask somebody, have you got plans for the next year? Majority of people might say yes, or some. Have you got plans for the next 10 years? Some fewer would say yes. Have you thought about the next 50 years? Have you thought about the world beyond your lifetime? Have you thought thought about the next seven generations, which is a Native American principle about thinking seven generations into the future, considering every decision you make as if it would have an impact on seven generations into the future, which is roughly about 200 years. And that helps us lead in a more sober and sobering way, I think.
0: Can you help me understand the link between that and what you talk about in the book about wading through the muck and, um, kind of perspective on others do do the two things link or am i am i smashed up two things um wrongly
1: oh no sure they all absolutely link. so the the practice of perspective is the first chapter in the book and it's meant to stretch you a little bit so thinking time horizon is the one aspect of it thinking below the surface of issues is another way of looking at, at the human dynamics and patterns of behavior in organizations and systems and um, perspective on others is linked to that because the when we see things that we find or feel disturbing, we can jump to conclusions. And it, when we jump to conclusions, we're not making wise and compassionate decisions. So the practice of perspective is the practice of pressing pause and being curious about what's going on, thinking far deep and wide about the particular situation, including what's happening with the people around us. So absolutely, there's a link there. The whole, if you could sum up perspective, it's press pause, be curious. <laughs> and if you do that, when it comes to perspective on others, then you've got a better chance of connecting with them with, with compassion and being able to unpick the challenges that are that are arising in the situation relationship.
0: And so how easy is it to do that?
1: It's not easy at all, really. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Because we are bags of water and and bones and we are chemical creatures and we are animals in our own right. And so the practice of perspective comes alongside deep self-mastery, meaning that one of the chief perspectives that we need to develop is perspective on self and understanding ourselves much better understanding what's happening in our biochemical responses to certain situations noticing when we get an elevated heart rate and panicky and having a reaction to words or a setting or other people and treating ourselves as an object to study is one of the practices of perspective that can help with us and it's often the biggest challenge, it's basic emotional intelligence, which is really quite advanced, is being able to study ourselves is the first part of it. When we can do that in real time, in situ, when stuff is going on that is full of tension, then we can start to be able to, to handle the situation. So how easy is it? It's not easy. It With deliberate practice, it gets easier. And the more that we focus our observation through these different kinds of maps of human territory, the easier it is to spot patterns. So for example, like I've studied this, these topics for, for 20 odd years now. And when I'm in conversation with someone and they, they start talking about a particular topic and they start whinging about something and, and feeling helpless, I'm like, oh, that's a pattern of human behavior that uh, the Stephen Cartman's drama triangle fits. So I know that they're possibly stuck in a drama triangle situation and I can talk through the coaching language to help them see things in different perspective. Or if someone talks about being really frustrated at work because somebody else got a promotion over them, then I can think, oh, that's a four devils map. They're coming across as emotionally hurt and harried And this is about a loss of position in the workplace. Um, So I know that that's sort of what's going on for them. And then I know how to have the conversation about, let's talk about the sensitivities around status and how you feel like you've been pipped at the post around that. So it helps with the connection piece.
0: You've got in the book, um, I think you've got five archetypes, which I um, have summed up in the summary. Um, Just wondering, is there a particular archetype that we should be aiming for?
1: You say it like it's a goal, um, <laughs> which I hadn't thought about archetypes as being a goal, more of a guide probably. Right. And there, there is one archetype. There's one archetype that rules them all in my mind, and that's the archetype of the elder. And cultures around the world have this archetype. And the archetype of the elder is the wise and compassionate leader. So somebody who leads with the best of the heart and best of the mind. Somebody can make sensitive and sensible decisions. And that one is the filter through which you can see any other archetype. Uh, So the elder can combine with the warrior. So you can be a wise and compassionate warrior. You can be a wise and compassionate diplomat. You can be a wise and compassionate guardian. So that's the one I encourage people to always gravitate towards. And the way that you use them really is to think about the archetype as a, what would the elder do is kind of the way that I use this. Like if I was to respond in this situation as an elder, how might an elder respond to this conversation or to this particular challenge, as opposed to how does emotionally wrecked, tired, overworked Zoe (laughs) respond to this situation? (laughs) I'd rather respond as the elder. And so it helps us reach for better ways of being and doing and thinking. Uh, and a simple method of incorporating the archetypes into our world is to have pictures of of the archetype. It could be a hand drawing, it could be an image of some sort. It could be someone who represents for you that particular archetype. Uh, for the elders, some people uh, would, might use Nelson Mandela. Uh, might, I might use a Native American uh, elder that I've come across and met. Uh, there's an Aboriginal elder that I've met who really exudes a lot of the energy that I'd love to channel. Uh, Kieran Bevi is one of my particular elder archetypes. She's a leader in India. She's amazing. Um, so whenever I'm looking for inspiration and courage to lead better, those that's what I lean on is the elder archetype.
0: Thank you. Um, just keen to cover off the idea in the book and the concepts and the discussion around fear of loss, why, why that's important. And uh, what 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 it creates in kind of people dynamics and um some of that uncomfortable um
1: not fun side of people stuff so we are hardwired to avoid loss it is part of our biochemical uh, makeup that is designed to help keep us safe so as you know when we crawled out of caves or crawled into caves I'm not sure outer end caves when we were dwelling in caves We fought hard to gain any sort of advantage over the environment and its threats. If we lost anything, it was a survival threat. And so we clung to our resources quite carefully because we felt them literally as a survival threat. And that wiring has stayed with us. We have a lost aversion. And in the context of the four devils, the other kinds of loss that play out, uh, which cause us to go into survival mode uh an amygdala hijack the amygdala being the survival part of our brain which puts us into fight flight or freeze mode there's um fear of loss of power and the work of uh, david rock neuroscientist australian neuroscientist talks a lot about this and loss of power and autonomy is one of the things that really pushes our buttons because we like to feel in control of our world and if we're having decisions made to us without our consultation this can turn us into what I call the the firebug, somebody who's argumentative, who feels righteous and wronged, and this can cause us to be really angry, frustrated, uh, defensive, aggressive, <laughs> because we're we're in survival mode. So that's one of the fear of loss loss of power, loss of um, position is another one, and position is all about status and fairness, and that's our place within the tribe. That's been really important for us to survive as social beings is to know that the pie is fairly distributed, not necessarily equally distributed, but fair in terms of there's a social contract with us and our tribe about who gets what. And if that's upset, uh, somebody gets more than what is perceived as fair, that can cause us to go into survival mode because the whole tribal balance and tribal harmony is out of whack. And that can cause us to become emotional ranters, what I call the storm driver. And um, people get really, really upset with that. And the status piece is about not having our opinions heard and not being recognized for our contributions. And that can be really emotive because we all live to contribute and to be part of something. And we get a sense of pride in our contributions. When that's overlooked, that can be really challenging for us. Uh, the other one is a loss of place, and that's our sense of belonging, and that's primal. Brene ta- Brown talks about that, the loss of belonging, and we feel it as a physical pain. Literally, they've mapped out the processes in the brain to show that if we're ostracized or left out, we can experience that as a the same sort of pain as being physically hurt. It's it's troubling because it also it's a survival thing. We We only survived as a species by coming together, and if we're left out in the cold, we feel that as a real risk and threat to ourselves. And the last one is loss of performance. If we all of us want to contribute and do well, and if we're getting overloaded and we're not able to perform, we can feel this as a, as a real stressor uh, because we're not living up to our own expectations and um, and ab- ability to contribute. So this loss of performance can cause us to go underground and panicky and be- poor behaviors like undermining and backbiting and um, that kind of stuff can ar- arise as a result of that, of feeling powerless and, and stuck and, uh, and and threatened. So that's some of the causes that that draws out of these difficult behaviors, uh, most, mostly emotionally and verbally uh um expressive, those are the storm driver and the firebug, or ones who can't express themselves very well, they go underground, the water bomber and the ground splitter. And there it comes out in their behavior and their emotionality, all really difficult to be to deal with. And it's signs of people under threat and they're in survival mode.
0: So I'm sure everybody listening will have experienced some of that or even delivered some of that behavior. Um how, how do we use that knowledge?
1: First, there's a first aid response, and then there's a systems approach response. So the first aid response is to create as much safety as possible around that person um, according to the threat. So it's it's time to minimize if you can and put some uh, boundaries around that threat, the perceived threat that they're experiencing. Uh, in some cases, for the for the firebug, this means setting some rules like what can you make decisions about that you're that are in your ball court and what ones you can't. So that helps clarify and add some certainty to the situation. Uh, for the storm driver, this is about, reass- not reassurance, but um, appreciation and recognition. It's like, you are appreciated. Your perspective is valued. Your contribution is valued. This is how we wanna recognize it. <clears throat> the fairness uh, piece with the with the storm driver is all about listening. Why do you perceive it's unfair? Well, tell me a little bit about that. So it's about being curious about their perspective of what's fair and what's not. Doesn't mean necessarily can change the decision that's been made that's pushing their buttons. And yet, when we listen to people and really, really hear them, that can be enough to downregulate the uh, the amygdala hijack response they're having. Uh, for the for the water bomber, which is about belongingness or lack of belongingness. It's all about inclusion and reassurance. You are welcome here. You are part of this community. You are part of the team. You are a valued contributor. Let's get to know you. Let's get to know the others and creating that sense of safety and community in the team is the next step. For the ground splitter, this is all about putting boundaries around work. If they're feeling overworked and and feeling like there's no escape, this is like, okay, well, let's talk about your workload. Let's talk about what's going on for you. Let's see what's realistic and let's partial things, uh, portion things out about, about that. For those two, last two, ground splitter and water bomber, they don't feel safe enough to speak up. So the work is about developing safety in the group. And that means setting ground rules within the group, setting the expectation that people can air grievances and talk about the issues and that you will, as a leader, listen to that and they will be uh, they'll be heard and the feedback will be circulated back around decisions and so on. So the first aid response was that the deeper layer of how to approach it from a systems point of view is making sure that your systems aren't contributing to the problem. And the typical systems that contribute to these issues are how you do recruitment. Uh, is it fair, visible, and uh, above board in terms of process? Uh and not nepotism, <laughs> say, for example, or unclear, or, uh, and so on. Uh, recruitment, remuneration is another one that can trigger poor behavior. How are people compensated? Is it, is it fair or is it driving competition, unfair competition between team members? Is it turning them into lone wolves because they're getting compensated based on their performance as opposed to a collective performance? So that's a couple of the systems there. Remuneration, uh, recognition is another one. Do you, are you actually recognizing people on a regular basis? Uh, that's a pretty important one. Um, so those are a handful of the systems that contribute to the triggers, if you like. So first aid response, and then the deeper systems work about what's happening in your organization to push people up against the wall? And can we change the way that we do things so that those things don't happen in the first place?
0: What would the one thing be that our Books at Work community could do after listening to this episode? To help kind of navigate the people stuff. I don't know whether that's too simple a question to, to end with.
1: Not at all. you got to start with something. <laughs> <laughs> and probably the practice that I think would make the biggest difference to people is to become a reflective practitioner. What that actually means is to start reflecting a lot more on who you are and how you're showing up and the impact that you're having. And I do this by encouraging journaling. And so it's a simple exercises at the end of the day as a starting point going, right, how did I show up today? Did I show up as best version of of self? Did I use an archetype to help me make some better decisions and behave in a better way? Um, Where did I operate that in a less wise and compassionate decision? So we start to have a look at our own decisions and our own behavior to see how it's being expressed and looking at the impact on others. So that's the self-reflection you can do at the end of the day. At the beginning of the day, you can set the intention uh, of, right, how do I want to show up today? Which which archetype might serve me best uh, today? Should I be the de- diplomat today? How can I call on the diplomat to help me navigate this tricky negotiation, say, for example, uh, so that I can remain centered and open to conversations and yet remain true to my cause? So I think the deliberate reflection piece is is the essential thing to take forward. Because when we start to study ourselves, we get a third-person perspective on ourselves. And this helps de-escalate some of the uh, triggers and reactivity we might might be um, living on (laughs) previously. So when we become less reactive and more centered, good things happen from there we can we can access the wisdom and compassion piece more easily thank
0: you very much I look forward to doing that and becoming more centered so I thank you Zoe very much for coming on books at work and um yeah have a lovely day
1: thank you so much Anna it's been a joy I love the work that you're doing in the world and thank you for doing that Right,
0: on to the people stuff, take five. One, perspective. How we see ourselves, others and the world. With perspective and insight, we can see wider things going on and other things that matter without losing sight of what's most important. Two, perspective on ourselves. How am I showing up now? Am I having the impact I want? Three, be guided by the elder archetype. Sensible, sensitive, wise, compassionate decision-making, valuing humility, curiosity, and care. Four, perspective on others. Remember emotions and beliefs show up in behaviors and communication, and fear creates certain behaviors. Five, use perspective to identify patterns in behavior to better understand these patterns, why they happen, and how to navigate them. That's the People Stuff Books at Work episode done and dusted. I'm
1: Anna Hughes, and that's Books That Work, making work better.